right. Thank you to our friend Jason for being our uh, video guy. Appreciate that. Hey, um, so I'm excited to be here on this Palm Sunday. Uh, are you, you know, are you paying attention to Lent and all the things going on? Did you even realize today was Palm Sunday? We're going to talk about that here in a minute. Uh, I, I, Palm Sunday is one of the Sundays that I'm, I, I'm excited about, but it, um, I guess it makes me sad at the same time because you know that Jesus is going to die. But then again, he's going to be raised from the dead, which we'll celebrate together a week from today. Uh, and uh, Jason said on Saturday evening also we'll have a service at 6 o'clock. There'll be an Easter egg hunt uh, following that. Um, we we're trying to keep it low-key this year. Uh, if you've been around for very long, you know that we have a large Easter egg hunt that we do every year, um, about 10,000 eggs, and we are not going to do that again this year. We just didn't want too large of a crowd, but um, hopefully next year we are able to get back on that. Uh, but instead of that, what we've done this year, and you guys have been so awesome to help us fill Easter eggs, we have um, Easter kits, Easter boxes. You'll see some back there on the table. In fact, if you reserved one of those, see Jessica on your way out, you can uh, grab one of those. But we had the Easter kits we did was about 5,000 eggs, actually exactly 5,000 eggs. So that was pretty cool that we were able to do that. And then um, we have, you know, another, I don't know, a couple thousand that we're going to do the Easter egg hunt for our kids. So Saturday night, if you want to participate in that after that service Saturday night. And don't think that if you come to one service like Saturday evening, Sunday morning is going to be different. They're going to be the same service. Uh, just so you know, we're not going to, you're not going to miss that. Now you can come to both and that would be awesome, but you don't have to come to both um, because you're not going to miss anything. Um, you know, I'm, uh, I've been, I've been on a, I was going to say diet, but we, we don't really call it a diet when you're a man. Right? You understand? It's a cut. I'm on a cut. <laughs> at least that's what Sarisa told me. I'm on a cut. And I'm at the awkward in-between stage because um, I feel like my clothes are getting too big. You know, it's, it's the worst. So I'm thinking to myself, now I'm, I'm also um, cheap, so maybe I should just gain the weight back so all my clothes fit again. <laughs> that, w- that would be easy to do, right? That's, that's, that's a good thing. But, uh, and then at what point, then I'm gun shy to buy more clothes because if I buy more clothes, if, if I lose more weight, do I have to buy clothes again? <clears throat> anyway, it's awkward. I realized this morning my belt is floppy and um, I didn't catch that until I was here. So don't look at it. I'll stand here. You can't see. All right, so um, one day there were a couple of engineers, one from Texas A&M, one from Texas Tech. They were um, having a very intense conversation, arguing, in fact, as they were standing outside and they were looking at a, a flagpole, uh, looking at this flagpole, having this argument, and a uh, Texas Longhorn student walked by, and um, he was curious what they were arguing about. He saw him. He said, hey, what are you guys arguing about over here? I don't understand what's so intense. And uh, they said, well, we're, we're trying to discuss the, the best way to determine the height of this flagpole. And we just can't come to a conclusion about the best way to do that. And he said, this Longhorn student said, oh, that's easy. And he takes the flagpole out, lays it on the ground, and he measures it. And he says, there you go, 10 feet, 6 inches long. And uh, they both look at him, shake their heads. And, you know, the Longhorn student walks away. And the engineer from A&M turned to the one from Tech. And he said, isn't that just like a Texas Longhorn you ask him for the height, and he gives you the length. <laughs> yes, some of you are going to catch it. All right. 
We live in a world that is upside down, where heavenly things confuse earthly things. If you are confused, by the way, I am a longhorn. So, you know, the, the ones that are uh, with the common sense. Maybe not as smart as somebody from AM, but you know. Heavenly things confuse earthly things. It's just hard for us to understand. And as we go along today, if you want to follow the notes, today's message can be found in the church app. Uh, the uh, church app can be downloaded from the app store, Lantana. You can just search the Lantana Church there. But uh, I, I have some, and I say that because there are several things that I have written down here just to give you an idea uh, how the earthly thing, or heavenly things confuse earthly things. Because we see, these are all in Scripture, we see unseen things. Because we conquer by yielding. Doesn't make sense. Uh, we find rest under a yoke. We reign by serving because we're made great by becoming little, because we are exalted by being humble. We become wise by being foolish for Christ's sake. We're made free by becoming his bond servants. We wax strong by being weak. We triumph by defeat. We find victory by glorifying in our infirmities. Perhaps the most difficult for us is we live by dying. It's just none of it makes sense. And that's why it's so hard for us to explain to people in the world the Jesus that we follow. And I think that this is on display, especially on Palm Sunday. We're going to read that today out of Mark chapter 11. Mark chapter 11, starting with verse 1. As they approached Jerusalem and came to Bethphage and Bethany at the Mount of Olives, Jesus sent two of his disciples, saying to them, Go to the village ahead of you, and just as you enter it, you will find a colt tied there, which no one has ever ridden. Untie it and bring it here. If anyone asks you, Why are you doing this? Say, The Lord needs it, and we'll send it back here shortly. They went and found a colt outside in the street, tied at a doorway. As they untied it, some people standing there asked, what are you doing untying that colt? It's a strange scene, don't you think? Uh, they answered, as Jesus had told them to, and the people let them go. When they brought the colt to Jesus and they threw their cloaks over it, he sat on it. On to the next slide. There we go. Um, Many people spread their cloaks on the road, while others spread branches they had cut in the fields. Those who went ahead and those who followed shouted, Hosanna! Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. Blessed is the coming king of our father David. Hosanna in the highest heaven. Jesus entered Jerusalem and went into the temple courts. He looked around at everything, but since it was already late, he went out to Bethany with the twelve. This is, uh, for me, this is an interesting scene that's happening. Just, and, and I'm going to discuss that with you a little bit, kind of go through some things that I see going on here. Um, this, just to set the, the, the context here, what's going on, um, this would have been immediately after Jesus had raised Lazarus from the dead, which we talked about just a few weeks ago, and it would have been the day after he had been anointed with perfume by Mary. You guys remember Mary came in, the alabaster box of perfume, she broke it, and she anointed Jesus with it. Um, as we talk about things, too, remember, keep in mind that Jewish, the, for the Jewish culture, their day was from sundown to sundown. 
so that our Thursday evening was actually their Friday. So when the sun went down on Thursday, their Friday began, and that helps understand some things in the uh, crucifixion too. Um, Remember also that Jesus would have celebrated the Sabbath meal with Mary, Martha, and Lazarus after sundown on Saturday. So last night they would have celebrated the meal. Okay, so Jesus' last week of ministry would have went something like this. Sunday, today, would have been the triumphal entry, what we call Palm Sunday. They were putting palm branches on the ground. And then Monday was when he cleansed the temple. You guys remember that scene? He came in, he got upset, he overturned temples and all that. He cleansed the temple. And then uh, Tuesday, he had some disagreements, some arguments with some Jewish leaders, uh, which really got them angry. And then uh, there's nothing recorded for Wednesday. On Thursday, they begin preparing for the Passover. Then on Friday was the trial and crucifixion, Saturday the tomb, and Sunday we'll celebrate next week Jesus being raised from the dead. So... This whole triumphal entry thing is, is, is an interesting thing. Jesus sends two disciples to go and find a, a cult. And sometimes when we say cult, especially here in uh, horse land, you know, where there's horses everywhere, the kind of cult they're talking about is a, a donkey, a, a, um, a young donkey. There's, and it's, there's some mystery involved. I, I've read a bunch of research on this, trying to figure out why was this important. Why was, it, why was this part important other than um, it, is, it was, and we'll read in Zechariah, but there was a prophecy of the Messiah who would come and he would enter in on a, a, a colt, a, the foal of a donkey. And they're unsure, scholars are, why there's so much time spent on this part. Now there's, there's some fun uh, ideas about why it may have been. Uh, Jesus instructs them to go find this, this, this donkey, right? He says, y'all go, y'all find a donkey, and if somebody says anything to you, just tell them the Lord needs it. Just say, hey, Jesus needs it. Now, that in itself is strange, because when they go down and they find the colt right where Jesus told them it would be, they begin to untie it. I mean, somebody's going to think, hey, they're, they're, they're stealing my colt. Like, what's going on here? Well, I, I don't understand. And of course, they're going to stop him and talk to him. And and it was a young donkey who had never been ridden before. I don't know if any of you guys have been around um, animals that were untrained. Some of you may have dogs, like we do, that are untrained, <laughs> as desperate as we try. Or uh, here in horse country, and I know uh, my dad has horses, and um, those horses that are unbroke, they're crazy, right? And um, we used to do a, a live nativity, and we would work with donkeys, and... Um, Donkeys, notoriously, when they're talking about being stubborn, they are stubborn. And if they don't want to do something, they're just not going to do it. And you can imagine now having a donkey that is untrained, like a wild, not, you know, not wild, but um, hasn't been taught to follow the halter, hasn't been uh, taught to have somebody re, uh, ride on it, any of that kind of stuff. It, it's just crazy. So they went down and they, they found this, that it, they were stopped, and I'm sure that the people who saw them, it was... It could have been a funny situation, like, what do these guys think they're doing? You know, they, they, they know nothing about this. Can you imagine if it was yours, and there's your untrained donkey, and maybe you're sitting around, and uh, you're drinking your iced tea, watching it, going, I don't, I don't know what I'm going to do with you, Joe, <laughs> the donkey. My donkey's name is Joe. 
I just don't know what I'm going to do with you. I'm so frustrated with you. I can't get you to halter break. I can't get anybody on top of you to ride you. I, I just, and then here comes some people, and they're like, hey, we're going to just take this donkey. <laughs> I mean, in a comical way, he might have thought, you know what? I'm going to let you take that donkey because the joke is on you. I mean, we've thought that about our kids sometimes. <laughs> oh, your kids are so cute. Oh, yeah, cool. Take them. <laughs> just kidding. I love you. I love you, kids. I don't see them back there, but... Y'all are my favorite. And then the conversation of the guys. Have you ever been asked to do something that you kind of didn't want to do? So Jesus sends the two guys, and he's like, hey, go take this colt. And they're like, is that stealing, Jesus? Should we take the colt? I don't don't know if I want to do that. You know, my dad used to have me do things I didn't want to do, and at some point, you just have to do what you're asked to do, you know? So they did. They're walking there, and that conversation, like, well, I'm not going to do it. You do it. And I'm not, you go grab, I'm not going to grab rock, paper, scissors. Okay. They get there, and, and you know, who knows what happened there. Not, it might not have only been comical, though. It, it could have been a bad situation. We just don't know. Because at that time, donkeys, believe it or not, were considered to be noble beasts. Like, it was, it was important to have a donkey. Donkeys were, were a big deal to that culture because a donkey could carry um, more than a human, obviously, like it was a, a good work beast and they could pull a, you know, a cart or something. Uh, a donkey could carry more than any animal its size. Like donkeys were important to that culture. And here these two guys come and they're just going to take the donkey. Could have gotten, gotten them in trouble. We don't know. This is what I mean. There's a lot of unanswered questions. There's a lot of theories. Um, there's, there's really not a lot of theology behind it. But here's what the meat of what I want to tell you today. Just remember this. Jesus told them to do something, and they did it. Like, as uncomfortable as it might have been, as awkward of a situation as it might have put them in, they trusted Jesus. And we don't know that whenever they spoke Jesus' name, the Holy Spirit interceded for them to these guys that they were talking to about the donkey. I think that's what's important. So, and, and then Jesus rode the, co- the colt. Now, understand also that in this time, some of their governance, uh, Pontius Pilate, who's the Roman governor, he had, been, he had come in earlier in the week and had entered Jerusalem. Um, he had come in to occupy the Antonio Fortress and the Praetorian, like, and he would have brought a lot of Roman soldiers with them, and they would have been ready to put down any uprising that might have happened. You know, they, they're just the Roman soldiers just mean, and they're going to take care of business. And uh, so the governor had come in already, and then Herod Antipas, who uh, was what they called a tetrarch, the, the king or the ruler of uh, Galilee and Perea, he's the same guy who had imprisoned and beheaded John the Baptist. So that guy had come in also earlier and uh, probably, I mean, we assume it doesn't say, but had went to the, uh, the, the castle or the palace of his father, Herod the Great. So the town had had a lot of kind of pomp and circumstance. The governor had come in, and, and the king had come in, and like all this, there would have been a lot of Roman soldiers there, and, and all of the, the Jews uh, were coming in for their Sabbath. Like this was, a, this was kind of a, an important week that was happening there. It wasn't just that Jesus came and, and rode in on this cult. There was a lot going on. A lot of power and pageantry had been on display this week. And then here comes Jesus, riding on his donkey, 
coming down the hill. And this is the prophecy, Zechariah 9.9. See, your king comes to you, righteous and having salvation, gentle and riding on a donkey, on a colt, the foal of a donkey. So Jesus gets on the donkey, and, and as he gets on the donkey, before he gets on, the, the disciples put their cloaks there, and then as the donkey begins to walk, the, the, and this is just, remember, this is just the disciples at this point. They begin to put their cloaks on the, the ground before him so that when Jesus is on the donkey, and then whenever the donkey's walking, it's not touching the ground. And this is highly symbolic of a king or a ruler, because in that time, a king's feet would not be allowed to touch the ground. It's just not going to happen. So they're declaring to everybody, this is my king. This is my king. He's so important to me, I'm going to let him walk on my cloak rather than on the ground. Like it, it would have been a, a, a huge thing it, it, that Jesus' feet didn't touch the ground. Would have, the symbolism there would have been amazing. So two things are happening in this moment. The, the disciples are uh, setting Jesus up as king. Understand a king of peace, and I'll talk about that in a minute. Not a king come to bring war. And then second, the disciples are recognizing his kingship. Maybe for the first time, we assume for the first time, it's not written or recorded anywhere else. They, now, he's not just their, their Lord or their Master or their Messiah or the other. He is their King. He is the one they're putting their trust in. Like, it's a, it's a big deal. But also this means, and, and remember, the governor had come in, the Roman soldiers had come in, the king had come in. There's a lot of Roman soldiers around, a lot of um, government around. Jesus isn't hiding anymore. You remember he had been kind of hiding a little bit as things heated up for him. He's not hiding anymore. Now he is publicly declared king. Okay, now by now they would have reached... This is happening. They're putting their cloaks, and, and there was more than the 12 there, we assume, of his disciples. The, the 12 were his closest, but you know there were more disciples than that. So he's walking, and he would have come up to the top of the Mount of Olives. Now, just in your minds, I imagine this. As they crest the top of the Mount of Olives, down before them would have been Jerusalem spread out. And on the Sabbath time, travelers would have been going up and down the road. So they would have seen what was going on, and there would have been this kind of big celebration and this big, what in the world is happening? And disciples are putting their cloaks down, and Jesus comes across the hill of the Mount of Olives, and the city of Jerusalem is down, and they're remembering Zechariah said, oh, here he comes riding on a colt. The people around would have begun to get excited as well, and they would have started to say something like, Hosanna in the highest. Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. This is my king. And they would have started to put their cloaks down. And some people would have said, oh, I don't have a cloak, but oh, we've got these palm branches. Don't let his feet touch the ground. And they would have been doing this. It would have been a majestic scene. It would have become celebratory, exciting, What's going on? Travelers are like, oh, wait a minute. Something big is happening. I don't understand. There would have been shouts of jubilation and things are, are, are happening as they go. And as they descend the mountain, the whole crowd begins to put their cloaks down and put the palm branches down. And they would have been shouting, blessed is the king who comes in the name of the Lord and, and singing praises. It would have been an, an amazing time. In fact, you might call it a riotous situation. 
knowing that kind of environment, it makes sense then for the Pharisees to come in because they believed that these Pharisees actually were friends to Jesus. These Pharisees were the ones who came to Jesus and, and said, hey, rebuke your disciples, teacher. Tell them to be quiet. Don't you know uh, the, the governor's down there and the king is down there and, and the soldiers are down there and this is going to end badly. Don't let them do this. Quiet them down. They were concerned that Jesus might be perceived as somebody coming to conquer. Because just a few years before this, on the Passover, that very thing happened. Somebody came in, a very similar scene was happening. They got all excited, thought he was the Messiah. People were following him, but he came with the sword. You see, in times of peace, you would ride a colt, a, a donkey. In times of war, you would ride a majestic stallion. Well, the one before, he came in on a stallion. He had, he had a bunch of followers. In fact, 400 of them died as the Roman soldiers quelled the rebellion. But here comes Jesus, and he's, he's doing it differently, though. He's, he's writing, he's saying, I'm bringing peace. And, and for some, it was clicking. For others, it wasn't. Like, well, maybe this is all he had. <laughs> maybe he could only find a donkey, but we're with you, Jesus. Come on, let's go take it. And if you read through the Gospels, as Jesus gained notoriety several times, it said they tried to make him their king by force because they were desperate for a leader that would set them free again from this time Roman tyranny. You, you remember in, in Egypt they had to be set free and then as they wandered the desert they needed to be set free and then as they got into the land of Canaan they needed that cleared out. Like there's all these times that God intervened and, and saved them and they were expecting that again. God's going to send somebody. He's the Messiah and he's been prophesied and we're going to conquer and, and win. This one who tried, though, led a revolt. 400 of his followers were killed, and so was he. They hung his head on the garrison wall. <laughs> it didn't get very far. Jesus responded that if these are kept quiet, then the rocks will begin to cry out. My translation is, Jesus said, I'm going to accomplish what I need with or without you. I mean, and that's a whole different side thing for me. There have been times in my life, I don't know about you, that I kind of felt God prompting me to, to do something, and, and I wouldn't. And then that void would be filled, and I'd be like, oh, God took care of that. And then I'd be like, oh, I was supposed to take care of that. Like, God is going to take care of what he needs taken care of. And, and if, if it's going to be praise, then if these can't praise God, then the rocks will cry out. He's that amazing. So on Palm Sunday, and here's the point, I believe there's multiple points of view on Palm Sunday. And, and I want to look at the three, okay? The three. And by the way, that wasn't the introduction. That, that's like half the message, so we're getting close. There's three, and the first is the disciples, okay? And maybe I shouldn't start with what I think is the most correct, but I am. The disciples. Jesus asked the disciples to do something, and they did. No matter how weird it was, no matter how awkward it was for them, no matter what the call was, they did it anyway. And they rightly recognized Jesus. They recognized him for who he was. They recognized him as the king, and they, they did it out of sincerity. They did it before all the crowds got there, before the hoopla. They, they were doing something on their own belief of who he was. 
not based on what everybody else around them thought, which I believe is what happened as it went down the hill. I, I think everybody's like, oh, wow, oh, man, look at all the people. Let's do this. We'll jump in on this. This is awesome. But the disciples started it. So they had a right belief in Jesus based on their own relationship with him. Declared him as king. The second point of view is the crowd. The crowd saw what was going on with the disciples, and they must have spontaneously just, just followed suit. So the disciples started this thing. They crest the mountain, you remember, and um, the Scripture says that these were his disciples, so we're, we're assuming that they're all his followers. It must have been a magnificent scene. I would, this is one of the things I love about this image in my mind. I would love to have been there. Because I too, and maybe some of you have the same thought, I would love to see Jesus come in and ride on that stallion and conquer. You know what I mean? Like, oh, this is my Jesus. He's going to do it. He's going to take care of it. Here he comes. Going to conquer the world. A wave of enthusiasm has swept the crowd as they're coming down the hill. And, And as they took the whole scene in, remembering the miracles he had done. Remembering the people he had healed. He healed my brother, I remember. He, oh, I, I touched his cloak and I was healed. I, I uh, asked him to heal my servant and he healed him without even going. I, oh, he's amazing. And the, the emotion that would have been attached to that. They were sure he was their king. In fact, he must be making his final descent into Jerusalem to conquer this place. Like it's all over. Oh, Rome, here we come. Like that, that must have been the kind of enthusiasm, but I just think they had the wrong idea of Jesus. I think we can't make Jesus do anything. I think Jesus is already doing something, and we're just a part of it with him. You know, um, and we've talked at our church likening it to a, a river let's say, or a song, a river flowing, and, and th- that river of God's already flowing. We just have to find the flow and go with them. Or a song, and, and when a song is sung beautifully, and the melodies and the harmonies and um, the, the music and the instruments, and they all orchestrate so well together. That's God, and we're, we're doing our part. The problem with us is we're all the star of our own play. I've said that before. We're all the star of our, like there's a, there's a play written and we're starring in it. We're the starring role, we're the lead, we're the, you know, Grammy for best actor. It's us, it's me, I got this. That's not it. This is God's play. This is God's story. And he's asking us to, to be a part of that. But we have to be a part of it with him. We need to learn to set aside our preconceived notions of who Jesus is and let our perspective be reshaped by God's word, by God's kingdom, because God's kingdom is unlike anything in this world. In fact, you might say God's kingdom is upside down. And and if you read the same story in Luke, immediately following this episode, he's weeping over the city because they just don't understand. It's like one last time, Jerusalem, one last time. And the disciples got it. 
but nobody else did. And so he just cried. It's the same thing I believe happened with Lazarus. He raised Lazarus from the dead, but before he did that, he had a conversation with Mary, he had a conversation with Martha, and the scripture, Jesus wept. I've studied that in depth. It's not a, a cry of mourning, like he's, he's sorrow about Lazarus dying. He, I'm sure he was hit the human side um, mourning, but the type of tear he cried was, it was, just, it was just a tear. He wept a tear. And the inference is sadness that they didn't understand. They didn't understand what he was there to do. They didn't understand who he really was. They just didn't understand. And it's the same thing here again. Are you kidding me? You just don't get it. That was the attitude of the crowds. And finally, the Pharisees. Even if these Pharisees are friendly to Jesus, it seems to me that they just don't get it either. <coughs> By asking Jesus to tell the disciples to be quiet, I mean, they're showing their lack of faith. They're showing their lack of belief. They're, they're showing their fear. And I'll tell you now, we all have different opinions about what's going on politically, but at the end of the day, we can't stop any of it, probably. One side or the other, it just, it almost doesn't matter. But what matters is his kingdom. Like, that's what's important. That's where our investment is. That's where we're convincing people to be a part of. It's the kingdom of God. It's not the kingdom of this earth. It's not the kingdom of America. It's the kingdom of God. And so we've got to be careful that that isn't what becomes so important to us. Um, the way society's going, someday... We will be, uh, someday, maybe in my lifetime, we as Christians will be persecuted for our faith. Some instances it's already happening. But I'm talking about like it, it's going to be illegal for us to do certain things. It might even be illegal for us to have a gathering of more than 200 or whatever. I don't know. And that's kind of what, where the fear comes from. We're going to have to be careful to remember that our, our promise is, is in his kingdom. It's hard for us to understand exactly what they're going through, but put yourself in, in that place and understand that we can't have unbelief. We can't let fear dictate. We can't be worried or scared. It's his kingdom. His kingdom. That's what's important. That's what we have to pay attention to. And that's what we have to focus on. There might have been repercussions. There might have been, they might have thought, oh no, my Pharisee friends don't know that I'm, following Jesus, and they're going to know now. No, <laughs> we don't know. But whatever it is, it was the wrong way to perceive things. Don't stop, Jesus. So what for us today, on this Palm Sunday? In our world, the weak are trampled. In our world, the humble are made fun of. In our world, things are opposite of the kingdom reality. I really think we need to believe and strive for the disciples' view of things. 
recognize who Jesus is, promote him as our king, follow him, boldly do what he asks us to do. You know, the kingdom of God really is an upside-down world. It really is. It's just entirely different. Jesus, and you can see the beauty of what he was doing now, he, he came in, and it wasn't the Romans that tried to kill him, right? It was his own people. All of these things down there in the city, all of these soldiers and all of this Roman government that was down there, and they weren't the ones that tried to kill him. It was his own people. Because Jesus came as a kingdom of peace. It's a kingdom that doesn't make sense. They might have been confused, like, what's this guy doing? Like, he's riding in to conquer by peace? That doesn't make sense. I tell you, it works. It works in my life. You can come in hot, or you can come in with love. (laughs) So I guess my question for you this week, this Palm Sunday as we come into Friday. Imagine, remember the different things that Jesus was doing each day and and this week, spend some time reflecting on him and who he is and what he wants from us. And think, who can we expose to this upside-down world? Who can we teach what that upside-down world looks like? Where we're going to love you no matter what. We're going to love you no matter if you're Um, whatever country you're from, whatever ethnicity you are, whatever you smell like, whatever your socioeconomic status, uh, whatever, it it just doesn't matter. We're going to love you. It's the kingdom. And I love his kingdom. So find somebody this week and invite them into that upside down world. In fact, did you know that uh, the, the number is that I read this week by Barna, 40% of people who come to church on Easter weekend are not regular church attenders. Did you know that? People are 80% more likely to attend church on an Easter or Christmas than they are any other time. This is the week to extend an invitation to somebody, not just to come to church, but to this upside down world of his kingdom. Let's pray. God, help us this week. Help us as we teach others what this kingdom looks like. Help us to live into it. Help us to show others what it looks like. Help us to bring peace. Help us to bring love. And Jesus, as we reflect this week on what you have done for us, I just want to say thank you. Thank you for your sacrifice. Thank you that you had the power. So where you conquered, and I'm so excited about that, is you conquered death. You don't you didn't have to conquer people because that's not what you're about. You're about conquering death so that we can be with you. So thank you. We love you. Now place people in our lives, I pray, that we can show and lead to this upside-down world. In your precious name we ask. Amen.